Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 5, which along with Psalm 6 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, April the 26th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our study in the book of Daniel today in the second chapter, the first 16 verses, continuing also in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 12 to 19, and in the first epistle of John, um, the second chapter, the first 11 verses there. So remember that Daniel and and some others, uh, young people whose parents were of noble or leadership um, capacity, have been taken into Babylon in order that they would be trained and raised up within Babylon and treated um, incredibly well, as opposed to the way that most conquering countries would treat um, those who were conquered. So in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So he's been brought Daniel had been brought before the king, and the king had, had uh, approved of him and his companions, who we know mostly as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now the king has a problem. He, he had a dream that troubled him so greatly that he can no longer sleep. The king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. And this is similar to what we see in Genesis with the pharaoh and the dreams uh, in Egypt in Genesis when Joseph was there. And so we see a similar kind of thing. A young man, a young Hebrew man, is going to come to the rescue here of all these others. But but the king has had a dream, and so he calls these before him. And they came and stood before the king, and, and they would have come expecting to hear the king describe his dream, and then they would give the interpretation of it. But the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans, the, the, these are the, like I said, these are the, the descendants or, of the wise men that come to see Jesus. So these are the, the wisest men in Babylonia. So they said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. This is the way you reach out to a king. You want to make sure that, that you know that that, that the king knows that you um, appreciate him and value him and hope that he indeed lives forever. So tell your servants the dream and we'll show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So choose your way here. Either you can do what I ask you to do, and if you do, then you get all kinds of good things. But if you fail to do that, then, well, you're not going to live, and your houses and your families will be destroyed as well. 
they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we'll show him its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. In other words, I'm not going to go back on this. If you don't make the dream know to me, known to me, there's but one sentence for you. You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the times change. In other words, you're trying to buy time and you're just going to say some stuff to, to continue this charade when we both know that what you're really saying is you're unable to do what I've asked you to do. You're hoping I'll change my mind, and that ain't going to happen. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. I'm not going to believe your interpretation unless you can tell me the dream. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. It's an interesting way of saying that. I mean, the, the gods, plural, no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But God dwelt among his people. Yahweh did. Yahweh dwelt among his people in the presence of the people in the temple, in the tabernacle before that, in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. All those ways God dwells with man. But that's not something people normally believe, right? I mean, that's the reason you get God is watching us from a distance kind of songs. He's not watching us from a distance. He's in our midst and in us as individuals through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's not watching us from a distance, he, he doesn't just sit back and watch this, this play out. No, he's active and living through the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers today. And he was among the people there with the Chaldeans. And it's too lofty, and it's sort of one of those things that, that um, Moses will say is, is that God's not so far away that one of you has to go up to heaven and bring him down. But that's what other peoples believe about their gods. They're, they're only disbelieving different, separate, and transcendent. There's no eminence in most religions. Only in Judeo-Christianity is God among us. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them as well. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the king of the captain's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, What's the de- why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Darioch made the matter known to Daniel. He explained everything because Daniel hadn't been there, apparently. As Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So you name it. You name the time, I'll come in, and I'll give you the dream and the interpretation. That's all you have to do. Um, so Daniel is betting everything. I mean, he trusts the Lord that his life won't be taken from him, that it, that it has a purpose, and it has a value, and it's not going to be taken away before it's time. It, it's He's taking a risk, but it's certainly a risk that's built around faith. He believes that God's going to protect him and that God's going to show him what he needs to know. It's, it's a step of faith that Daniel makes that, nope, God didn't decree this is the appointed time for me to die. Therefore, he must be willing to show me the interpretation and the dream. 
in the gospel passage today, Jesus is praying. This is the high priestly prayer. Uh, While I was with them, the disciples, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I mean, he is still with them. (laughs) They're in the room as he prays this. But yesterday he said, I'm no longer in the world. He said that a couple of times. And now he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. And, and so at some level, Jesus is, is psychologically distancing himself from his disciples. And he is with the Father in this moment. There's this, this unity of he and the Father is, exists here in this prayer. And and in this way, Jesus is, is, as I said, psychologically distancing himself from them. Because this glorification process is is coming to fruition. He knows what's getting ready to happen. He knows everything that's getting ready to happen. And so it, it, he's already, in his mind, stepped into that. And we can do that. We can do that in our own lives. We can, we can be among others, but know something and know what's coming next. And we can already have been moving forward into that new thing before everybody else sees it. And it's that sort of what Daniel's doing here in his thing. He's not distancing himself from the Chaldeans, but what he is saying is, I'm positive that I know something by faith, and therefore I'm willing to step into this new reality now. You just tell me when you want me to step into that reality. And it's the same here that Jesus, while I was with them, I did this. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Because they see it, they're hearing it now, and it's not bringing them joy, but it will. Because I prophesied all of this. I let them know in advance what was going to happen. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. And, and that's an important thing. Can Jesus pray that about you today? Could Jesus say of you, he's, he or she is not of the world, and therefore the world is at enmity with them? It, I'm not sure how often that's true in my own life. You know, it's something that I need to pay better attention to. And then, so then, then we have to think about how do we do that? You know, so we don't participate in, in, I have friends who are constantly at odds with people in the gym and, and there's arguments and stuff in the gym. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is, is that you keep getting immersed in political discussion all the time. And, and it's partly you, you know, you can say, well, that guy always wants to talk about this, but the reality is it's you. You're bringing that to the table, and that becomes the discussion. We need to set things on a higher plane. Paul constantly tells us about this, and Jesus doesn't do it either. He didn't get involved in world systems, and occasionally they would ask him questions that had to do with taxation or whatever, and he would answer it by appealing to Scripture. His responses were always in that way. He didn't immerse himself in the political tensions of the day. He didn't immerse himself in the religious tensions of the day. Didn't decide between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all that. I mean, it's when they came to him that he responded to them. But, but we've got to be better at not being so immersed in the systems of the world that that's what we constantly are focused on and talking about. But I see it too often. He said, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In other words, protect them. And the evil one is a real one. You know, Jesus is not uh, 
sugarcoating anything here. He, he understands that we need to be protected, that, that, we, that the Lord, keep Father, keep us from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. It's a powerful statement that Jesus makes. He said it twice now in a three-sentence uh, little thing here about they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. That's how much we're intended to be like Jesus, that we are just like him in not being of the world. And, and for us, that does mean not being immersed in the world. Do we have other things we talk about? Paul says when you're we're together, speak of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and, and tell all the things the Lord's doing in your life. And it's important that we live that way. It's important. The world needs to see that. The world needs to see that we have transcendent values and transcendent desires, that we desire the kingdom needs to be the thing that people know about us, that we're living outside the world's systems at the same time we live in them. They're not controlling us. There's a greater kingdom that controls us, just what Daniel did and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't fear man because they knew God. They knew that he was sovereign over all things, and, and whatever happened would be according to his will and plan. And it's the same that we're not supposed to be of the world in that same way. We're not supposed to be ruled by the world, and we're not supposed to be ruled by our desires and passions. We're to be ruled by the Holy Spirit within us. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So we're sent by Jesus in the same way he was sent by the Father. We're sent with a mission, and that mission is love for the world and the proclamation of the gospel in love for the salvation of mankind. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they may also be sanctified in truth. I think I left out that one sentence, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It's important stuff right there. To sanctify us in his word is to fill us with his word in order that we might become the word made flesh. So the the purpose of giving the Holy Spirit is to enflesh the word. We're sanctified in truth, and your word is truth, then, then we're to be sanctified through the outward and visible expression of obedience to that truth. So in the epistle, John's going to say some of the very same things, except for he's going to put a little flesh on there. And when I say that, what I mean is, is that the flesh that he's going to put on there is what does it mean specifically to be sanctified in the truth? And he says, my little children, which is a very tender term. When he says that, it's technia is the word, the Greek word for it. But it's a very tender kind of fatherly term to use. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I want you to be kept apart from sin. And remember what I told you about the docetists. One of the things that they believed is the flesh is of no consequence at all. It dies and is gone away. The part of us that's eternal is the the uh, spirit or the soul, and it can't be destroyed, and, and it's not harmed by sins of the flesh. So there's this weird thing that, that kind of suggests that as long as you keep your soul pure, it doesn't matter what your body does, and, and one is not contaminated by the other. But the other side of it is true, though, that, that the soul, the inner life, sanctifies the outer life. 
but they've somehow separated this and said they're two different things, and they're opposed to one another, the spirit and the flesh. They've misunderstood everything Paul had to say in Romans 7, where he talks about the war of the spirit against the flesh. The things that I don't want to do are the very things that I do, and the things that I want to do are the things that I don't do. And so their, their misunderstanding is to separate those two things from one another and have them at war with one another, but, but to say, ultimately, this flesh is of no consequence at all, so it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh. He said, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So what, what does an advocate do? Somebody speaks on your behalf. That's what an advocate is. And he says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation, the covering, the, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, God has a way of dealing with sins, and it required sacrifice. And he's saying that, that the sacrifice necessary for your sins is Jesus. He is the propitiation. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So there's an assurance that it's that we're not the only ones, that, that it's a, it, his death was enough to cover the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. So John says the doing the physical, fleshly part of our lives is intricately connected with our knowledge. So the Gnosticism would say the same, would split those two things apart from one another. It's the knowing that's important. And John says the way we, we can demonstrate that we know is to do, to keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, quote, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar. Because it has to show itself forth in obedience, in love. Because of what he's done for us, the love that he has shown for us in the giving of his son, then our response to that is loving obedience. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So the doing of of the commandments is how the love of God is perfected in us. Not just the knowing. We've got to move from knowing to doing. By this, we may know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You ought to be able to see from looking at somebody, you ought to be able to see whether or not that Christ is in him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So what John's saying is, is the proof of the pudding is love for the brethren. Loving one another. That's the new commandment. And, and that's what Jesus says at the night of that Passover feast, the Last Supper. A new commandment I give you, and that is to love one another. And then he says, this is how you love one another. Greater love hath no man than this. And he laid down his life for, him, for his friends. And then he goes on to say, you're my friends. So when you see my life being laid down, then you know I did it for you, out of love for you. And so John say, is saying that this love for the brother is is the first and the easiest measure of whether Christ is in you. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So John is setting the, the standard is loving the brothers. And then he's going to go on, and we're going to see this tomorrow probably, is he's going to go on and say that love isn't an emotion and a feeling. It's an active thing. So in all the things John's saying, he, he is saying that Jesus's life mattered, and it mattered not just in spirit, but also in the flesh and the things that he did. And the way that we prove that we're in Christ is that we walk in the way that he walked. We're, we're not two separate things, a body and a spirit. No, those two things are combined to become one person. And so what we believe and how we live should be inextricably tied to one another. Our actions should prove our knowledge and our faith.